Hi, welcome to this week's Seacoast Vineyard Podcast, coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We hope this message will touch your life in a meaningful way and that you'll be encouraged in your journey with God. Uh, we've never been up in that part of the country before, and uh, what a beautiful, absolutely wonderful place to uh, visit. Um, place to go and wonderful people, very nice, not at all what I expected up in that part of the country, being from the south, and I've traveled a good bit, but I've not been up in the northeast that much, and we just had a wonderful time. It was uh, our vineyard group, our movement of vineyard churches uh, going through quite a change right now. We uh, laid hands on a new national director, Phil Strout, uh, last week, and now he's a new director. We have a new national board. We have new regional pastors and all of this kind of thing. Wonderful stuff going on. I was so excited, exciting to be a part of it, and uh, it was just great. Before we went up, uh, the meetings were like four days long and uh, all day and all night. Well, not all night. felt like it sometimes, but uh, it were great meetings. But I happened to go to this webpage, and it was the webpage, the homepage of the guy who made my, my acoustic guitar. Uh, a guy named Dana Bourgeois, and um, I happened to go to his webpage, and there on his homepage was this announcement, uh, this particular date, first ever open house, and it just happened to be that Friday that we were going to be up there that week, and I suddenly heard angels singing, and <laughs> this light shone down from heaven, and I, so I immediately called Karen and said, we got to stay for an extra day, you know. We got to, we got to go see Dana and how he makes his guitars. And very nice people. An old mill down by the river. Uh, Jesse had taken a portion of it, and about eight, nine guys work in that little shop, and they make about four hundred guitars a year. But when we were walking around with Dana, and he was giving us the tour, uh, he had his luthiers. That's what a guitar maker is. He had those guys dressed in this green T-shirt, and on the back of the T-shirt was this. Meet your maker. <laughs> There's one of them working on the outer bands of, uh, of an acoustic guitar. And uh, I thought that's about as cute as can be. Those of us who are parents, especially I think it's true of Christian parents, we don't consider sometimes ourselves the maker of our kids. But I, I would have loved to have had a T-shirt like that when my kids were young so that... Uh, Whenever we were having a little problem, I could always turn around like this and go, uh, you know, here it is. Being a parent is probably one of the most exciting things you will ever do in life, as well as the most daunting task you will ever take on. And I always look forward to having kids, even before I was a Christian, before I met Jesus, I had this dream of what uh, my little family would look like, and I'd have this little group of mini-me's. It's funny when you think of. It's funny when you think about having kids, though. It's always about you, isn't it? I mean, you don't think, well, I'm going to have to really take care of these people. I mean, it's more like, what can they do for me? Oh, they'll like the things. Like, I can't wait till I get them down to the beach. They're going to love surfing. They're going to love music. They're going to love this, that. And uh, I was raised in a family of all boys. All my brothers have boys. I have all nephews, no nieces, and. Uh, so girls are weird to me. I just don't quite get it, understand it, trying hard all my life. Uh, but I had all, you know, all brothers, and our first child was a boy. And, and then it occurred to me that, hey, 
maybe there's a slight possibility we could actually have a little girl. And so we prayed, uh, Karen and I prayed, and, and it worked out. We had a little girl, and uh, that was a whole different experience, girls and boys. <laughs> My daughter wouldn't appreciate Well, she's heard me say it before. I love her dearly. She's awesome. But, I, like, raising one girl is equal to about three boys. That's, uh, about, uh, that's the way I maybe got it figured out. About the same time when the kids were coming along, uh, and again, you, that's my handicap because I was raised with all boys, so girls don't get mad with me because I think you're lovely creatures. Awesome. But about this same time that our kids came along, uh, we had started a church, about 20 of us. That church is still around. It's Christ Community Church over in Conway. And we're about 20 of us that were gathering in a home, and we prayed, and we, uh, we were 30-year-old guys and, and gals, and we all came together. And when we started this church, we said, hey, we're going to raise our kids you know, we're going to raise them to be mighty warriors for Jesus. And I mean, you're 30 years old, right? And uh, so we, the fathers, we would all get together and we would pray for our children. We would pray for our wives and those that were single among us. They were still a part of it too. And we would pray for their future and what God had for them. And when our children came along, we held each other accountable. I mean, we were rough with each other. If we saw something going on in that little dynamic with our children, we had permission to step into each other's life and slap each other around, you know, to try to say, hey, you're not being a good dad. You need to be a better husband. You need to, and we were right there working with each other. We took this thing very, very seriously. We scoured the scripture from Genesis to Revelation looking for anything we could find that would help us be better parents, better fathers and mothers. And what scripture is it that pops up the most when you're talking about raising kids. It's in your, yeah, it's in your handout this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's that text, Proverbs 22, 6, uh, that so many of us uh, have, can have it drilled into our psyche and, and to our hearts that train a child up in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train a child up in the way he should go, and he will not, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Man, we would quote that verse Whenever we had a problem in our home, we would quote that verse to each other. You got to train them up in the way they should go. And, and uh, you know, we just, we wrote it on cards. We memorized it. When uh, Karen first became pregnant with Jason, our firstborn, you know, even right then I laid hands on her little belly and I would pray and pray and pray for my son and then my daughter and my last son. And we prayed all through that, uh, the whole pregnancy and we said, yes, Lord, we will train them, we'll discipline them, we will mold them, we will shape them in the way that they should go. And then when they get an adult, they won't fall away. It's going to be perfect, great, and wonderful. I mean, how many of us parents look for that silver bullet, you know, that one thing? It's like, if I can just get that one thing dialed in just right for my child, then everything is going to go right. That one thing, and Proverbs 22, 6 is one of those scriptures that many of us have held on to. Uh, never mind that I was a fully mature 30-year-old <laughs> teaching classes on how to raise kids. Yes, I did. I wrote a manual. Let's see, one was two, one was four, and one was six. And I was an expert. I, taught Bible studies, all of this. Well, today we are continuing our series. We've called it Mega Myths. 
because there are certain things that we, especially in the church, have kind of bought into and we believe that if not dealt with can have severe repercussions in our lives. And today we're going to look at a myth that uh, revolves around this, that if you raise your kids in a perfect way, will they turn out to be perfect? Is that a guarantee? Is that what God has for us in his word? So we are going to pray and we're going to jump into this. And I just would encourage those of you who are single in here, and I'll stay with me because you're going to need this. <laughs> So you need to stay with me in this. Don't, I'm going to check something else. Uh, You know, stick with me. I don't mind you tweeting through the whole sermon about the sermon. Go to it, you know, whatever. But but hang with me on this because you're going to need this. Believe me, I wish somebody had talked to me about this early on. So, Father, we thank you uh, for your word today. We thank you that your word brings life to us. Well, Jesus, I ask that you would just breathe on your word, the scriptures here today. Open them up to us so that we can draw great comfort and strength from that Lord I do want to see your Holy Spirit come and do something in our hearts this morning I believe there are parents here there are children here young adults here whom you want to apprehend and so Lord we ask for you to come Holy Spirit come help me Lord you can give what the Bible calls a gift it's not anything in myself, but there's a gift of teaching you said that can be given when it's needed. And Lord, I need it. And this church needs it right now. So we ask for you to impart that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, don't you love it when uh, you have other parents who you maybe be over at their house, over at their home, and they break out the photo albums of their wonderful, successful kids and uh, begin to brag on you know, how great they are and how wonderful they are. And, and yet there are many among us that if we broke our albums out and we talked about it, there would be such heartbreak in it uh, that it's very difficult. And it's almost like with this, with this proverb that we have about training up a child in the way he should go or she should go and they not depart from it when they get old. It's like we run between these two poles because we as humans, we, we're so fickle. In many ways, it's like if everything goes right, like when I was a 30-year-old, 32-year-old father, when everything is going right and they're young, I slide over into this area of pride. It's like, look at me, I'm the great parent. And you can come to me, the expert, to get some direction for your children. Let me impart to you my great wisdom because things are going well and things are going right. But then there's on the other side that when things go wrong, and you've done everything you know to do and you've loved your children and you've poured your life out for them and they start making dumb choices. Or even before they start making dumb choices, maybe they're very little. The first child was like so obedient. The second child is like little Hitler running around all over the room. He's destroying everything. And you go, what happened? I mean, I had this one, there's this one. And all of a sudden you have this tremendous guilt. And then when they get older, if they don't follow in the where you want them to go and where you had planned for them to go, this tremendous guilt falls on your shoulders. I don't know a deeper guilt than a parent's guilt. I don't know a guilt that is more harmful, that sets us back, that creates more problems for us in our future than parental guilt. So see how we are? We 
we really want our kids to do well, and, but when they do, it's like, woo, I'm a mighty parent. Then it's over here when it doesn't go well, I, I failed. What did I do wrong? Train a child up in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Is that some joke? I mean, is that what that is? Is God playing a joke on me? Is God that cruel? Because for some of us, for some of you guys in here, that's not the, uh, you're still waiting for that to work out. You're still looking for that. Is God's word a lie? Let me ask you this. What is the book that this verse 22.6 is found in? What's that? Proverbs. Your first fill-in is, is simply this. It's a proverb, not a promise. Okay? You know what a proverb is? We'll let the book define it itself. Go back to Proverbs 1, right at the very beginning of this book, and let's just read a few, few verses here. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of, son of David, king of Israel for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. It's a proverb, not a promise. A promise is absolute. You can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. And I can tell you, in our early days of parenthood and in starting that church, we took this as an absolute promise. It was going to happen. There was no doubt about it. We declared it, prayed it, claimed it, did everything we know to do with it. Some of you have done the same things. And various people in this church have had various uh, outcomes from that. A proverb is an observation about how life generally goes, how it generally works out, what usually happens, but not always. Not always. It's a proverb, not a promise. I mean, in the book of Proverbs, there are statements about, you know, how the righteous are going to be honored. Are the righteous always honored in this life? No. Now they will be. And many times they are. Do the wicked ever succeed? Sure they do. Sure they do. Do the diligent always strike it rich? Always? Do the lazy sometimes hit the lot? Lottery thing. I mean, people. I mean, they get it, and you go, "What about me, God? You know, I tithe to my church, and you won't let me win that fifty-eight bazillion dollars. You know, and this guy over here is not living for you. What's the deal? You know, and please understand me. I am not saying that it is worthless to try and raise your child up the way they should go. That is not what I'm saying. I am not saying that. But there is a difference in a proverb and a promise. And the way that we interpret that makes all the difference between guilt, pride, or a healthy look and a healthy approach to child rearing and being a parent. Proverbs 22.6, it's an interesting scripture because um, there are a couple of different takes by theologians on it. One is that it indeed that you are to train and 
train that child up in kind of a training in righteousness, which many of us have done. We've done all we can to train our children in righteousness. Some, though, see it as uh, you want to discover in that child, and this comes from the word chanak. It's a Hebrew word that you want to find in that child what God is doing. That there's a certain tone to that child. There's a certain key, like in music, that God has given to that child. And so you need to discover what that is. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I wish I had heard that when I was 30 years old. Because that makes so much sense to me. Any of you who have got more than one child, have you noticed how diverse and different they are? I mean, your first child, right? The first child, Jason, was the X1 model. Of the Holtz. He was the experimental model. We tried all kinds of fuel. He would go up and crash. I would rip his fins off, put some other ones on, try this one, you know, and fly. You know, well, that's not working. Let's try another one. And then finally, you found something you thought that worked. Well, the second one comes along and you go, hey, it worked on the first. It's got to work on the second. And it. He's like, I don't get this. I worked so hard on the first to figure out exactly how to fly this plane, and this one won't even get off the ground with the same fuel. And then you get a third one, and you go, I'm stopping. (laughs) That's it. I can't handle anymore. I can't predict this anymore. Years ago, I was preaching a sermon, maybe five years ago, and I had these two uh, piles of clay up on the stage, and in one, I was trying to fashion a child, to, you know, some of us as parents, and certainly when I was 30 years old, this is exactly what I thought in, in my 30s was God had given me this lump of clay, and I was to mold into this clay what this child was to look like. But I had another lump of clay. It looked similar, but on this side, I started peeling off pieces of clay. And as I peeled off the pieces of clay, what was exposed was this doll in the midst of this lump of clay. And I thought... Wow, you know, I wish I'd have known this early on that, yeah, I participate in what God is doing, but it's more about me discovering. Me discovering and working with God in how he has created this very complex, challenging little creature that's been placed in my life. And I really believe, for me, I think that's a healthy way to look at your children is to say that God is doing something in them. How do I participate in what God is already doing instead of me having to create this glob and try to make it exist the way that it should? And we should participate with God. It doesn't mean that training a child up in the way that they should go is useless or that we shouldn't do that. Proverbs 19.18 tells us to not be a willing party to their death. And by that, it means willing to do things in their life that will inhibit them or cause harm later on. Even in the New Testament, Ephesians 6, 4, we read, Fathers, don't, do not exasperate. Don't frustrate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And Colossians three twenty one says, Fathers, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So we have been given some uh, directions on how for us to parent, how to mother and how to father. But we also can't forget that underneath that lump of clay is something God is doing very unique. My children are so different, all three of them. Uh, The first one was very compliant. The second one, the girl, I think it said I was raised, like I said, I was raised in all boys. Girls are alien life forms to me. 
And uh, we, had, we had one girl, and uh, all my brothers have boys. I was raised with all boys. It's a man's world in the whole realm. <laughs> but then it comes this very precious, delicate creature into our life. And trying to figure out how she processes was totally different. And then we had the third son. The first one's so compliant. If you went to discipline him, he was, oh, God, I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm so sorry. The third one was, hey, restrict me, beat me to a pulp. There will be no tear or no remorse for me. And he meant it. And he broke me. <laughs> he did. I'd rather say he taught me because I realized it's not the same. And the daughter in the middle, I went into discipline. <laughs> I went in one day to deal with something with her, and she had these poles on her bed, like a poster bed or whatever you call it. And uh, she went and grabbed them and said, God, have mercy on my soul. <laughs> What do you do? I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, it's. What, I mean, I just. I give up. I just, and she tells me years later, she went, it worked. <laughs> oh, man, it's so much fun, isn't it? I mean, you run the polls at being a parent. It's, it's the most wonderful thing in the world to the most heartbreaking and challenging thing you'll ever do in life but there's something going on inside of our children that we as parents have no control over and where we get the heartache comes from the fact that we think we're responsible responsible for that part that we can't control first chronicles 28 9 and you don't have to turn over there but uh, david is talking to his son solomon the one that wrote the book of proverbs or and uh, he says this, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And the Lord said the same thing to Solomon over in Second Chronicles when he said that, Solomon, if you don't choose to follow the ways of your father in following me, then it's not going to go well for you. And even in the New Testament in Romans eleven twenty two, we read, Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God, sternness to those who fail, but kindness to you, provided, provided, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. There's more going on inside of our children than any of us maybe have allowed ourselves to see. It is a myth that a parent, if they do everything right, your child is going to end up doing everything right in life because there is something going on inside of them that you cannot parent out. There is something that needs more than you have as a parent to give. And if we, don't, if we don't realize that, we carry such unwarranted guilt into our life. And you know it. I don't know of anything deeper or more painful than parental guilt. 
And you know it. Some of you in here are carrying it right now. It's deep within your heart. You don't allow yourself to think about your children, where they are right now, because you blame yourself for whatever choices they've made in life. Even when they're little, there are certain things, like I was talking about the three personalities, even in my family, there are things you do not control. But we will judge each other as parents immediately about. If we see the little Hitler running through restaurant, through the, <laughs> we see little Mussolini jumping from chair to chair in the restaurant after this, the first thing we think of is not that the child, we look to the parent and we go, what's wrong with that parent? Why aren't they dealing with this? We immediately want to judge someone and not even knowing the situation, not knowing what's going on in the heart of that child. And again, don't misunderstand me and say that I'm not saying a parent shouldn't be responsible. I absolutely do. But some of this will hinge us. We'll either be on one side of the pride, look at the great parent I am, or look at me and look how I just can't stand to even think about I failed so horribly as a parent. I will never get over it, ever. There's a guy named B.F. Skinner who lived uh, back in the 20th century, a psychologist, brilliant man, a little weird, made these weird machines that were supposed to, you know, help change you and all this kind of thing. But B.F. Skinner had this philosophy that everyone came into the world as a, just a clear canvas. There was nothing on that canvas. It was the parent's responsibility to go in and begin to paint on that clear canvas and the christian culture has bought into a lot of that or has bought into it years ago you know that's a heavy responsibility do you realize that i mean if god gives you a clear canvas and you've got to take the watercolors you've got to take the paint you've got to come up with an image that you've got to put on that canvas for your child what a heavy heavy responsibility and so in the painting turns out a little bit wrong or it doesn't look like what we intended who's to blame or what reason even blame is not the right word what is what's the reason for it why did it go wrong and then if it turns out great you find out you're an artist and then you go write a book (laughs) or you lead a bible study and you tell people how to do it Your second fill-in there is this, that the problem, the problem cannot be totally remedied with perfect parenting. Now, there's a lot of uh, things in that statement, perfect being one of the words. But there's a serious problem that our children have. There's a serious problem, a challenge that we all have. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Romans 3 tells us that we're all unrighteous. That little one of yours. The one you're trying so desperately to have go a certain direction in life. The Bible describes this thing that we can't parent out as a sin nature. There is something broken in us when we're born. When we come into this earth, there is something that has happened to us in this fallen world that we cannot escape through good parenting. We can't parent this out. When it acts out, when the sin nature acts out, I just want to say this to you moms and dads. It's not your fault when that sin nature acts out. 
when your young adult child decides to do things that are not healthy, that is not your fault. That was their just. It's always somebody's fault, isn't it? It is always somebody's fault. We're always wanting to find somebody to blame everything on. And I'm still learning this, but when I heard this years ago, is the minute that I own my behavior, I'm taking one step to freedom. The minute that I say no one is responsible for my decisions in life except me is the minute I've taken the gun out of my back from my past. The minute I say it's not my dad's fault, it's not my mother's fault, it's not my environment's fault, but right now through the grace of God and the strength of God, I can make a good and healthy decision. I am making one step in the right direction. And a parent cannot make that decision for their child because it's the sin nature within the person. It's making that, pushing that. I thought back to... uh, the, the things I'd taught before in church, and, and I thought it, it kind of went like this. You know, when I was 30 years old, I taught a class called 10 Rules to Raise Godly Kids. Then when I hit about 35, as my kids were just a little bit older, it was 10 Guidelines to Raise Good Kids. <laughs> then when I hit about 38, 39, it was five principles for raising kids. And then at 40, as they're getting hidden on into the teenage years, there are three suggestions <laughs> for surviving parenthood. And then at 42 and 45, it's God have mercy on my soul. I'm a parent. That's... I mean, you still don't believe me. Think of this. The Bible begins in a beautiful place over in Genesis 1, Genesis 2. It is the perfect environment, is it not? Genesis 1... Genesis 2, perfect environment. I always, when I read the, those scriptures, I always think of this tropical setting. You know, there are bananas and there's fruit trees and there's a beautiful path to a point break wave. And, you know, it's, it's just me and my honey and everything's great. And, and it's beautiful. And in the evening, God comes to walk with us and we walk down to the beach and we watch the sun come up. We watch the sun go down and everything is perfect. Perfect environment. Perfect parenting. Perfect nature. What happened? What happened? Now, I don't understand all that. I'm just going to tell you, I don't, there was no sin nature. It was a perfect environment and a perfect parent. And it still went bad. Mom and dad, please let yourself off the hook. Let yourself off the hook just a little this morning. The myth of the perfect parent that will produce the perfect child is just that. A myth. A myth. Like I said, I don't completely understand all of that. But I know this. We have a deep problem. Our children have a problem in this sin nature that we're born with. Recently, I had a, what a blessing, one of of our children kids came to me and said, Dad, when did you baptize me? And so I told him, and they've been raised in church all their life. I mean, they've been raised around this. They've been in hundreds of hundreds of Bible studies and worship services where God's Spirit would come and just change lives. I mean, they've seen it. They have seen the power of God. They have seen 
a revival, they have seen the presence of God. They have heard the scriptures since before they were birthed. In their mother's womb, they have heard the scripture. And this particular child came to me and said, I've realized that I have been riding in on the tails, on your shirt tail. I have realized it because I've grown up in this and I have never known what it's like to be outside of hearing about God's love, hearing about Jesus. But now I'm wondering if it's mine. When my kids were 13 years old, I took, all, I took the two boys off. Karen took the daughter off. We gave them a special gift to kind of commemorate their turning to be, becoming teenagers. And I told them, I said, the day is going to come when you have to be responsible for your own spiritual life. And I said, you're there. You're 13, you're turning 13 years old. This is your moment. And if you don't take advantage of it now, the time will come when you will have to step out of our shadow, away from our home, and know that it's you and Christ together now to have your own walk and your own experience and your own relationship with God. And I want to say to you, church kids, you cannot ride in on the shadow of your parents. Because when the blows of life come and the hurricanes come and the storm comes, you're going to find out where your feet are rooted. You're going to find out if you have that relationship with Jesus that will hold you or if it was there with the family. And God wants to have a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Because it's only through Jesus Christ that the very deep, real problem of our life can be dealt with. And no amount of perfect parenting can parent the sin nature out of a person. You have to relinquish that to God personally your time so maybe you're thinking gosh Tim this is kind of a bummer we can't do anything what is it (laughs) so let's see I can't be happy about how good I did but I don't have to feel as guilty so is this like a crapshoot is that what this is are we just pulling I mean the handle or or not I think there are things we do we persist it makes a difference anybody in here who has been raised in a very horrible situation can tell you they wish they had been raised in a different environment so it's not that it makes a difference but that decision by that individual at that particular time in life is their responsibility not yours parent and you carry that guilt around with you it'll give you ulcers it'll shorten your life it'll make your relationships miserable you can't even enjoy jesus freedom for you and he came to give you freedom to free you to serve him So i got three little things here I think we can continue to do here. And the first one, all of these have the letter P in them this morning. This is persist. We can persist. Don't give up the good fight. Don't give up the good fight. Give it your best shot. Give it your best shot. I really believe my wife and I gave it our best shot. We did. If our kids made all the right decisions and they were here right now, they would tell you, no, they didn't through life. But we gave it our best shot. And don't let anything rob you of knowing that you're going to give it your best shot. Continue to do it. It does make a difference. There's another story over in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel. uh, The first about five chapters there of a priest named Eli. Eli was very instrumental in a young man's life, Samuel, who turned out to be very instrumental in Israel's life. But Eli, there he is in the church if we want to say that being used by God to raise up this wonderful man of God, Samuel. And he has two sons himself who are just, they're just awful, awful people. They were priests themselves. They would take advantage of the women who came to the temple sexually. They would take advantage of them. Whenever the offerings were brought, the food that was brought to the temple, they would eat it. 
take it for themselves. Horrible sons. And God told Eli, you need to discipline your kids. You need to... You need to be in their life, and he never did it. He would talk to them and say, my children, please don't do it. Please don't. And they continued on until one day, and God told Eli they were going to reap what they had sown, and sure enough, they're killed in battle, and the Ark of the Covenant is taken, which is the presence of God from Israel. Eli's 98 years old. Not only has he not disciplined himself, he's not disciplined his own life. He is, he's so big now, he's leaning up in this chair that when he gets the news, he falls. Y'all ever read this thing here? This has got some great stuff in it. I mean, there are some stories that could be movies and stuff. Um, this guy, you know, Eli, he's 98 years old. He's leaning up in his chair. He gets the news. He wants to know about the ark of God. I almost get the feeling he's given up on his sons that they were so, because he doesn't ask about that first. He wants to know about the presence of God. Where is the ark of the covenant? Where is it? The guy tells him the ark was taken by the Philistines and your two sons are dead. He falls over, breaks his neck, and dies. What a tragic story of a father who would not step into his kid's life and would not discipline them. Persist in doing what you know to do to help your children know that there is a way to walk. Help them see that there is a way. Teach them the scripture. Pray over them. Lay hands on them when they're small so they can hear you and Teach them the scripture. Romans 15, 4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. Teach them. Persist in teaching them that they have a problem they are going to have to face one day. They're going to have to face the need of a savior. They have something wrong inside that is propelling them to sin, to miss God. Psalms 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And teach them that there's a Savior. Persist in telling them about Jesus and how much he loves them. How he went to the cross for them, his blood. He was bruised and battered and tortured for their life so that they could be freed from that sin nature, from that thing that's trying to corrupt them and rob them of the life that God has designed for them. 1 Timothy 1.15, here is a trustworthy statement. We're saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. So if you think your kid's the worst, Paul says he's not. Paul says, I was the worst. And there was enough grace for Paul. And there was enough change for Paul that he changed lives with his life and still ours through his words. And secondly, pray, 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 pray. Lay hands on them and pray. Stretch your hands out over them. Pray for them when they don't come in at night and you wish they were home. You don't know where they are. Pray for them. Do not give up praying for them. We forget that these scriptures are for, uh, for our children as well as other people. Like James 5.13, the, the first part of that verse. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. I mean, that's for parents too. Are any of you parents in trouble? You should pray. Matthew 5, the latter part of that verse says, and pray for those who persecute you. If your children, you know, if you're just like, man, my kids are persecuting me, pray for them. We don't think about these scriptures for our kids. We think they're about somebody else. Or Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you. 
Pray for those who mistreat you. Continue to pray. And lastly, the last one here in this is pardon. Pardon. Give them a break. Who am I talking about? Give them a break. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about you, parent. I'm talking about you. Give yourself a break. Give yourself a break. Pardon yourself. The Lord's grace is enough for you. It is sufficient to cleanse you of your guilt or where you've missed it. You can't parent out a sin nature of a child. That child will one day have to own it themselves and say, Lord, have mercy on my soul, a sinner. That is not your fault that that is there, and it's not your responsibility to parent out. That is that child's to deal with when God convicts them of their sins. Pardon yourself. Pardon yourself. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. It's a myth. There's no such thing as an unforgivable sin, except for not believing in the one who can forgive you. And you're not responsible for your child's sin nature. That that was dealt with on the cross, and they have to find their place there. So parents, give it your best shot. And then go treat yourself to a nice meal. And hey, have you been giving it your best shot? Go treat yourself to a nice meal and get dessert too, right? (laughs) Today. And to you children, you have to stand before the Lord yourself for your own behavior, your own position before him. And my prayer is that today you would say, okay, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me and make me whole. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I I pray for some relief for our parents, Lord, right now. Holy Spirit, just bring your presence. You came to set us free, Lord. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Maybe you could just, if you're laboring under a load of guilt about your children, maybe you could just kind of take that guilt in your hands and just kind of lift it up and let God take that this morning. Just kind of lift it up to him and say, here, Lord, I really, I really don't want to carry this anymore. And I give my children to you. You love them and designed them a certain way. And in your mercy, I pray that you would apprehend their soul, their heart. And that they would hear your call and repent, Lord. Throw themselves on your mercy. And I'll continue to love them, to pray for them, to persist in doing what I know to do. But Lord, I'm going to let myself off the hook for their decisions that they make. And one last thing before we close if you're here, and this is maybe you're 12 years old, 14, 15, 20, 25, but you've been blaming your parents over and over and over again for how your life is, 
what you don't realize is you've put yourself, you had placed yourself in the position of being a hostage to your own past. And you can take that gun out of the back of your back right now by just releasing them and saying, Lord, I am going to be responsible for my life. Would you come into my life and help me? Give me the grace and become my Lord and Savior so that I can release this, cleanse me, and forgive me so that I can begin a new life. Come, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, guys. We have a ministry team right over here to your right, my left, and they're there to pray for you. They've been praying for this church service. They've been praying for the people in it. If you have children that you would like to receive prayer for, if you're a parent and you're like, man, I just, I don't know how much more I can take, then go over here and let them pray for you. If you're a younger person and you have just making that step to follow Jesus and you're starting to own your own behavior and you're going to say, I'm going to be responsible for it, let them know, let them pray for you. Uh, We're going to prepare to receive our offering right now. You've got an envelope in there. You've got a connect card in that little handout. If you would take those out, a basket is going to come by in just a moment to pick that up. I appreciate everybody's faithfulness and uh, your giving. That's what keeps things open around here. The light's on, the door's open. And uh, we're getting ready to celebrate our 15th anniversary in a couple of weeks here. 15 years this church has been around. Woo! Yeah. 15 years of God's uh, faithfulness. And uh, God's got so much more for us to do. We're doing that big fall festival on that Saturday. And where we're going to reach out to our neighborhood, we're going to give away as much stuff as we can and show the love of Jesus to our neighbors. And uh, man, we just want to continue on with what God has called us to do. Uh, Let's pray over this offering. Father, thank you for your kindness and generosity. And now this is just another song of praise to you. That's what our money is. That's That's what our offering is. It's a way of saying thank you, Lord, for taking care of us. And so we're giving back to you. We're giving back to the church that we're in, that the Lord feeds us and that we're a part of and that we serve in. It's a way of giving back to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your provision. And so, Lord, bless the giver and bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and were perhaps even challenged in some way to continue pursuing a closer relationship with God through Jesus. Here at Seacoast Vineyard Church, our vision is to worship God with passion to reach out in Jesus' name with compassion, and to mature as a people of power and purpose. For more information, including our location and gathering times, visit www.seacoastvineyard.com.